But I do want to start off with a question today as we finish off this series called Share. What we've done is we've talked about um, how to share your life, how to share your story. And today we're going to be talking about sharing and service with those outside of the community of faith. And the whole reason we're doing this is because uh, we feel like, the elders feel like God is leading us into this season where um, he's asking us to be a church that's intentional about those who don't have a church. Um, And we'd love to see growth of our church happen from those who don't have a church, from those who don't know Jesus or those who do know Jesus. But honestly, the church hasn't been the best place for them. Um, the God, God is doing something very unique in this congregation, I think, with, with, with the gospel and that oh, we've seen people healed from past church wounds as they've come in through here and, and got to experience the gospel in a new and, and fresh way. And so we're just asking God to give us more of that and trying to, to help us as a church reach out to those around us. And so today, as we talk about sharing, uh, as we talk about serving those around us, I want to start off with this question. Do you want to be happier? Right? Do you want to be happier in your life? Um, I know I would love more happiness in my life. Not the kind of happiness, no, that's like here today and and gone in a couple of hours. But that happiness that lasts for a while. Now, I know if you've been a part of the Christian world for a while, happy almost becomes a bad word, doesn't it? Because we're taught to use what word instead? Joyful. Okay? Put that aside for today. Because here's what's crazy. We're going to talk about this in a minute. Jesus actually uses the word happy. He uses the word happy. Now, here's what I want you to do. Set aside what you've been taught about joyful and being happy. Because those are, hold on to it, but just set it aside for right now. Because what I want you to do is I want you to look at your life. I want you to look at how you spend your time. I want you to look at the purpose for your life, like why you get up in the morning. I want you to look at the influence that you have on those around you. And I want you to ask this. When you look at those things, do you want to look at them at the end of the day and be happy with what you see? Do you want those things to bring a smile to your face? Do you want those things to energize you? Well, here's the ironic part of happiness. And this is where it gets confusing for us. Because the ironic thing is that the pursuit of happiness will actually never make you happy, right? If happiness is what you're shooting for and you're shooting for something to make you happy, oftentimes all that does is show you how empty you actually are. For example, if, if you think a new car will make you happy, right? And, and maybe not even the shiny new car off the lot, maybe just a new-to-you car, right? And you think that'll make you happy. Here's the trick. It does for a little while until you get that first payment, right? Or even worse, because, you know, you're prepared for the payment. Even worse, when you come back out of the grocery store and somebody has nicked it, then it shows you kind of how empty you are. Maybe it's not a new car that's your thing. Maybe it's that new dress that you think will make you happy. But what happens when that sucker shrinks? Because that's what it does, right? (laughs) It shrinks or it goes out of style and all of a sudden you're left not happy again. What about kids? Sometimes people have kids to make them happy. That wears off fast doesn't it? 
<laughs> right? And if it doesn't, you know, think about your favorite one, right? <laughs> Eventually, your favorite one will leave home, leaving you empty. <laughs> oh, that's sweet. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, I got distracted by a dad. You're my favorite. We'll see. Hey, here's the deal, though. That, like, those things that we reach for to make us happy, those things that we pursue to fill our life with happiness, oftentimes they are the very thing that when they're messed up, when they're tweaked, when they're not what we expected, they actually just show us how empty we are, right? But what if there's a better way? What if there is a biblical happiness that's available to you and it's available to me? And what if we're just grabbing at the wrong things? And what if Jesus actually shows us how to be happy? Not just joyful, but happy. How to do something that brings a smile to your face and that energizes you. What if Jesus shows us how to do that? If you're curious... If you desire happiness, I've got good news for you because here's, here's what we're going to see. Jesus does show us how to be happy. He literally uses the word for happy. In many of your translations, it's going to say blessed. If you have a King James Version, it uses the word happy because in, in the language, uh, in the Greek language, there are two words for blessed and one of them uh, is, is appropriately blessed. It's this word for worship. The other word is the word for happy. And when Jesus teaches on the Sermon of the Mount, he's using the word for happy. Right When he's teaching what we're going to see today, he uses the word for happy. And so Jesus actually shows us how to be happy. Anybody curious about what he says? Well, turn with me to John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. If you need a Bible, there's one in front of you. In that Bible, it's on page 746. Or you can download the Bible app, and we're in there under events and under Fellowship Asheville. The scriptures are there. The announcements are there. There's even questions for you to consider after this. And as you're turning there, if you scan it real quick, you'll see this is a pretty familiar passage for those of you who have been around the church for a while. This is the part of John's account of Jesus' life where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Right? And so, so it's, this, it's, this, it's this great moment in their, in their journey together with Jesus. Now, not to give you any spoilers here, but as you read that passage, Jesus is going to say to do this as an example. In other words, he's going to give us this clear command to go do this. Now, here's what happens. Um, some people, and I've been a part of this, can interpret that to mean we need to wash each other's feet. Right? Jesus said, do this. He's washing the disciples' feet, so we need to wash people's feet. And it's supposed to be, when this happens, this intimate, worshipful moment. Y'all, I'm going to tell you, I've been to a Christian conference. <laughs> this was, <clears throat> excuse me, this was years ago, decades ago, actually, to be honest. And they had this foot washing ceremony as part of the conference. It was meant to be this worshipful, meaningful, powerful moment. It was the most awkward thing I have experienced. I had this stranger come up to me with a bucket of water and a towel and start taking, like unlacing my shoe and taking it off and then pulled off my sock and I stopped her and I said, I'll just do the other one. Like I know where this is going. I'll just go ahead and do the other one. 
And she washed my feet, rolled up, rolled up my pants, washed my feet, and then moved on to the next person. And I was left there with slightly dried off feet thinking this was the most awkward thing I've ever experienced. Not only for me, I can't only imagine what it's like for her to kind of walk down the aisle. So here's what I want us to do as we read this passage. I want us to realize that Jesus isn't talking about physically washing somebody's feet. He has a deeper meaning and a deeper lesson for us because if that's all he meant, then anytime you get a pedicure, you are fulfilling this scripture, <laughs> right? That's not what he meant. There's something deeper here that we're going to see today. And so, with that, uh, I, I want us to dive in and see what Jesus is really after for you and me to be happy. Now, we're going to start in verse 1, uh, chapter 13, verse 1. John is going to put this little timestamp here for us to know what's going on. He says, now before the feast of Passover. Now, the feast of Passover uh, was this, uh, this, this feast that would happen in the nation of Israel where people would gather together in Jerusalem uh, to celebrate the release of the nation of Israel from the hand of Egypt. And so it was this, this great moment to celebrate God's deliverance. Now John is putting a, a timestamp here because he wants us to know where this flows in Jesus' uh, ministry. And, and what we see is this is the last week of Jesus' life. It's actually right before his crucifixion. And we know what's happened by looking at the other Gospels. Uh, we know what's happened in Jesus' week. He's had, for all practical purposes, an incredibly busy week, right? Um, uh, he has been entered into the city, ushered into the city as a hero, and the triumphal entry is what it's called, where, where when he came into Jerusalem, uh, they, they laid down palm branches, they put down their cloaks as like a red carpet type experience for him, and they ushered him in as the king of the nation. And it was this great moment. And so he had that going on. Then he went to the temple, and there were people in there that were using the temple as a way to make money, not to make it a place of worship and a house of prayer. And so he drove them out. That was actually the second time he did that. He did it once before, and then he does it again right before he's crucified, the week before he's crucified. He does it twice. Now that's important for us to know, just as a side note, if you ever feel like you keep doing the right thing and it doesn't work, just take heart, Jesus did too, right? So the, for the second time, he drives them out. Then we see during that week, he also teaches in multiple places, different venues to different groups of people, and he's, he's, he's constantly pouring himself out. By any practical reasoning, you can look at this and say, man, this has been a very busy week for Jesus. Not to mention, he's organizing this Passover meal for his disciples. And if you've ever organized a dinner for people, you know that it takes time and it takes energy. And, and, and so it's real easy to see that as he comes into this event that we're about to see, he is probably pretty exhausted in his body. Because he, he's, he, he, he's fully God, he's fully human, and he got tired. But look at what else is going on. In, in verse 1 it says, Now before the peace of uh, the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. And so, so what's happening is, is they, he prepares this meal, they come together, 
And Jesus knows what's in Judas's heart. Actually, Jesus, Jesus knows a couple of things. He knows the end is near for him. He knows the crucifixion is coming. He's got that weight on him. But he also knows that somebody sitting at the table named Judas, he has been close to for the past three years, is about to betray him. And so not only is he physically exhausted, I think it's very easy to extrapolate the fact that his soul is probably exhausted too. There is a lot of weight on him. Not only the coming crucifixion, which we see him agonize over, <coughs> but John is also pointing out the fact that he is also about to be betrayed. And so it's real easy to see that he is exhausted, mind, body, and soul. So I want to stop right here, and let me ask you in this room, are you exhausted today? Like, are you tired, mind, body, soul, all three? Like, I know a lot of people come into this building, they come into this place, and you're tired. I'm tired. I just had a week of vacation, and I'm tired, right? We come in here and we're tired, and we sit down, and finally it's a moment. And so are you that way today? Are you tired in mind, body, or soul, or maybe all three? Because here's something that we do when we're tired, right? In, in life, when we're tired. When we're exhausted, we grab what we think will make us happy. Right? When you're tired in your mind, when you're tired in your body, when you're tired in your soul, those moments are the moments that we grab oftentimes for the wrong things. We grab the things that we think will make us happy. Like I said, I was on vacation this past week. It was just a little time off, and, and it was great. But you know what happens when you get back from vacation? Non-vacation. Right? Life happens. Work happens. The stress of both happens. That's what happens after vacation. And so if you reach for vacation thinking it'll make you happy, guess what? At some point, vacation will be over. This is a place where uh, at Fellowship we say you can be anything except a liar. And so in, in, in parts of messages, I'm just real with you because I know you and you know me. And there are times when we're tired and we're exhausted and we reach for alcohol or we reach for drugs because we think that'll make us happy. But here's the deal. The buzz will eventually wear off, won't it? And you're left with what you didn't deal with before. You left with the way you were before. Maybe there's someone here that, 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 that strives to be popular to make you happy. But here's the deal with being popular. There's always someone more popular. There's always someone with more likes on Instagram than you. There's always someone more popular. Or maybe... You think that new thing and you reach for that new thing when you're tired. But you know what happens to that new thing? No matter, what, no matter what your new thing is, you know what happens when you reach for that new thing? Eventually it becomes what? The old thing. Right? You just got the iPhone 10. Guess what came out? The iPhone 11. The new thing always becomes the old thing. Well, it's in those moments where we reach for those things that that, that we think will make us happy, that John wants to show us what Jesus did in that moment. 
In that moment of the Passover where he has, he has been hailed as king and then he has thrown people out of the, of the temple to make it a place of worship where he has, he, has, he has taught in multiple places and multiple people to different venues. He has prepared this fat Passover feast. He's, he's, he knows that Judas is going to betray him. He knows that the crucifixion is coming. In that moment, y'all, if it would have been me, I would have been like, y'all, I need a minute. Right? Y'all just stay right here. I will be back. But John's going to show us what Jesus believed in that moment. What Jesus believed when he was exhausted in mind, body, and soul. Look at verse 3. It says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. And he knew he had come from God and he was going to God. You see, Jesus knew something in the midst of this busyness and in the midst of this betrayal, in the middle of what I think would have been exhausting. He knew his purpose and he knew his relationship with God the Father. And those two things he had anchored in. Because he knew that God had sent him to be the sacrifice to end all sacrifices for the nation of Israel. He knew that he was the one that in Genesis 3.15, when God looked at the serpent and said, I will send one who will crush your head and you will bruise his heel, Jesus knew that he was that one. He was the one to crush the serpent, serpent's head. And he knew he was the one to deal the final blow to sin and death. And he knew he was the one to bridge the gap between God and humanity. And he knew his path forward. He knew that he was the path to God. And in Jesus, we had this invitation into this relationship with that God. And he knew that he was that invitation. He knew that that was his purpose. And if you haven't declared yourself to be a follower of Jesus today, to follow that Jesus, who is the path between you and God and the only bridge between the two of you, then let today be the day you say yes to this invitation. Because that purpose is why he was able to sit at that table in the midst of exhaustion in the midst of betrayal, and to keep doing what we're about to see next. But he also knew that his relationship with God was secure. He knew he had come from God, and he knew he was going back to God. You see, he knew his relationship was secure. He knew where he came from. He knew where he was going. And you see, church, we have this exact same assurance. John, in another book, he wrote the Gospel of John, but then he also wrote three shorter letters later on in the New Testament, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. He also wrote a, a big one called Revelation that we're going to talk about in 2020. But in 1 John 5.13, John says this to people like us. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, to you who believe in the name of Jesus, that you may know you have eternal life. And so John wants us to know that we can have the same assurance that Jesus did. That we can know that our relationship with God is secure. That when we close our eyes on earth for the last time, when we open them in eternity, Jesus will be the face that we see. And John wants us to know that. That our invitation to salvation and our welcome into eternity are both because of Jesus. Because he knew that was his purpose. 
And in the middle of this busyness, in the middle of this betrayal, Jesus knew that his relationship with God was secure and his purpose was set. And for us, here's this application that John wanted to highlight. This is what Jesus believed. And it's like he's asking this question, what do you believe when you're tired? What do you believe when you're facing this? Because what you believe when you're exhausted determines what you do when you're happy. Right? What you believe when you're exhausted determines what you do when you're happy. When busyness or betrayal or anything making you exhausted sets in, what you believe in that moment, or let's be honest, what you believe in that season of exhaustion determines what you do to be happy. It determines what you reach for to be happy. And when you believe what you believe about your security in your relationship with God, what you believe about your purpose will determine what you do when you're exhausted. Do you spend? Do you consume? Do you numb yourselves? Or maybe you do something else. Because look at what Jesus did. Look at what his belief and his purpose and his belief and his security and his relationship with God. Look what it led Jesus to do. In verse 4, it says, He rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So here's what Jesus does. In a very busy week, facing betrayal, Jesus does this unthinkable thing, and he keeps pouring himself out to the disciples. He keeps emptying himself for them. Now, if I was a manipulative man, this is where I would talk about volunteering for children's ministry. Right? But I'm not. Because I think Jesus has something deeper here than just keep going, right? Because that's not the gospel. That is religion. Religion says just keep going. And I think Jesus wants to show his disciples something about the gospel here, something deeper for them, something deeper for us, and something so much better. Because remember, Jesus knew that his relationship was secure. He's not serving. He's not, he's not washing their feet to make God happy. He knows God is happy with him. And he knew his purpose was set, and so he's doing something deeper and showing them about the gospel. Now, we're going we're gonna to get to what he's showing them in just a minute. What I want to do is show you Peter's response. Because look at how Peter responds to Jesus washing his feet. It says, verse 6, He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And so Peter's first response is shock and then confusion, like confusion and then shock. For him, Jesus is the Messiah. For him, Jesus was worthy to be called the King of the Jews when he was ushered in at the triumphal entry. To him, he is the Savior. And all of a sudden, his Savior is taking the role of a servant. And it doesn't make any sense to Peter. He is, he is confused. And, and I say that to say when, when we serve the way Jesus is going to show us to serve, when we serve in the way that he's going to explain why he's doing this, when we do that, those outside the church are shocked by it. We intentionally do serve Asheville on a Sunday because people are shocked that we would give up meeting in here to go serve them out there. They are shocked by it. This is what the gospel does. It is shocking to people. But look at what happens next to Peter. It says, Jesus 
Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I don't wash you, then you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. In other words, everything you can see, wipe it clean then. This is what I love about Peter. As you, as you, as you get to know Peter in the Gospels, like his pool only has a deep end, right? There is no shallow end. And any time he gets in, he's doing a cannonball, right? Like, like he doesn't wade in. And, 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 and so this shock and confusion, even though Jesus says, listen, buddy, you don't understand this, but trust me. Peter's response is, you're right, I don't understand it, but give me more. Right? This shock turns into acceptance and then this desire for more. Y'all, that is what the gospel does. A friend of mine named Jonathan Dotson, he's a, he's a pastor in Austin. Um, one time he said, if the gospel doesn't sound too good to be true, then it is not the gospel. That's what the gospel does. First it is shock and then it is acceptance and it is this desire for more. And Peter doesn't understand all that. But he's about to, because look at verse 10. And Jesus said to him, the one, so Jesus is, is talking to Peter, and he says, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but he is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, Not all of you are clean. And so Jesus is talking to Peter, but he's making this reference to, to Judas, right? And the difference between Peter and Judas is that Peter is sold out. Peter sees Jesus as the Savior. Peter sees Jesus as the coming king. Now, he may have been wrong about how Jesus was going to come as king, but he knew Jesus was the guy. He was the one that the Old Testament had been talking about. And so this language here between clean and, and your feet are dirty and, and Judas isn't clean, this language is about this, this security of salvation that I was talking about and this need for honest confession. Because, because to Peter, Jesus is the Savior. And even though the crucifixion hasn't happened, even though the resurrection hasn't happened, even though Peter is going to betray Jesus and say that he doesn't know him, Jesus is letting Peter know that, that listen, I see you. And I know that you see me as a Savior. That forgiveness in the timeline here that is about to happen has made you clean. You are completely clean. And yet, there is this need for confession. Your feet are still dirty. And this is that confessional language that, that Jesus, in Jesus, our salvation is secure, but we are still drawn to temptation and in that temptation, we are drawn to sin. And when we sin, our feet are dirty. When we sin, although we are completely clean and forgiven, our feet are dirty and we need Jesus to clean them. You see, the one who isn't clean is Judas. Because he doesn't see Jesus as the Savior. He doesn't see Jesus as good news. As a matter of fact, to Judas, Jesus is nothing but a disappointment. His salvation isn't salvation. You see, to those of us who are followers of Jesus, who do see him as the way of salvation like Peter does, 
Jesus is showing in this, in this living parable that we are clean, right? That our forgiveness is paid for at the cross, and it is complete, and we are completely clean, yet we sin, and our feet get dirty, metaphorically. This is when we confess and we, we repent, but we do this from a place of complete forgiveness, And so the good news for followers of Jesus means that that sin that's in your life today, the scriptures call it the sin that so easily entangles, that thing that you may grab for when you're tired and when you're exhausted and that temptation may lead to sin, that that sin, Jesus has already paid the price of that sin, that the power of that sin over you is only the power that you give it. And we give it plenty, but Jesus has enabled it obsolete. And the good news is that Jesus can free you from that sin. Simply confess it as sin and turn to Jesus. And see, and here's why this is important for our application today. Those things that we reach for in our exhaustion to fill us up with happiness can actually lead us to sin. And when we confess it as sin, when we confess our materialism, our substance abuse, or whatever it is that we turn to to find happiness, those things which leave us empty, they actually begin to lose their power when we start calling them what they are, and that is sin. And sin is anything that is opposed to God. And when we call it as sin, y'all, that's the power of confession is it gives it its correct title. It calls it sin. And when we confess it, we have the power to turn away from it. And when we turn from those things, we turn instead to Jesus. Because look at what happens in verse 12. It says, when he, had, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place. You see, Their dirty feet are now clean. There is confession, there is repentance, and Jesus is now in the right place. When when, when you had a Passover feast, there was one who sat at the head of the table who led the feast, and this was Jesus. And so the picture here is that Jesus is now sitting at the head of the table where he belongs. Their Their feet are clean. There has been confession, there has been repentance, and Jesus is in his place. And when we repent, we put Jesus in the right place. And not those things that we hold on to, those things which have this fleeting happiness. So I want to pause real quick right here. And as I've been talking about sin, as I've been talking about confession, as I've been talking about repentance, and, and uh, as Kara up here said, you know, to invite the Spirit to speak to you during this time, has there been something that's come to your mind? Something that needs to be confessed? Something that needs to be called sin? And if so, do that today. Confess it as sin. We'll have people from the prayer team that'll be standing up here, and you are welcome to talk to them. You know, the book of James says, confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. And, 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 and they would be delighted to pray with you and to stand with you in this. And, and once you repent, I mean, once you confess, you can repent and put Jesus in the proper place at the head of the table. Because look at what else happens in verse 12. It says, um, he resumed his place and said to them, do you understand what I have done? And I'm sure in this moment, they, they all looked at each other and was like, uh... Yeah, yeah, we, we get it. They didn't get it. So he, he keeps on going. 
He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Now this is where people are like, okay, then let's wash each other's feet and be happy and be done. But remember, Jesus is going deeper here. And John is showing us that Peter was shocked and confused and then accepted it and then wanted more. And that there's this confession and there's this repentance and there's this freedom. And what Jesus is saying is that when we understand what Jesus has done for us, the natural response when we experience freedom is to help others experience that freedom. We take it to others. When we understand the forgiveness found in the cross is complete, that the sins in our life can be confessed and they can be turned away from them, we are free. And it frees you up not to focus on your exhaustion, but it frees us up to focus on what Jesus focused on, taking the gospel to those around us. Look at verse 15. It says, for I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. And so what did Jesus do? He served those around him to show them the truth of the gospel. He showed them the character of God. He showed them his purpose for coming to earth. And y'all, here's why this is important in our series about sharing your faith. That when we serve others, we serve them to do the exact same thing. We serve others to show them Jesus. We serve others not to make the world a better place, although we want that to happen. Why not? But the big purpose is that we serve others to show them that same truth in the gospel. Because here's what we know about serving. Raking leaves for someone is never about raking leaves. Raking leaves for someone is about building a relationship so that they can see the freedom that you have in Christ and they can be shocked, confused by it, and get to a place of acceptance and wanting more of it. We serve to show them Jesus. Now, does this change the way you think about focusing on others? How does this change the way you serve? You see, when we serve and to show people Jesus, it means that Serve Asheville, like I said, that's happening the first weekend in November, it's going to be exciting. We've got this, this, this opportunity coming up. We do this every year where we take a Sunday. We don't take a Sunday off from church. We take a Sunday out. And, and Nick has been praying specifically, I think for a couple of years now, about us to have a community that we can focus in on, like a neighborhood is what he had in mind. But God gave us something a whole lot bigger and a whole lot better. And that Homeward Bound, which is a ministry that we work, well, they're not a ministry, they're a nonprofit organization. There are believers that work for them, but we come alongside of them as they, as they seek to, to help those experiencing homelessness. And they just bought an entire apartment complex to help people move into, into housing. And they've reached out to us and said, can you help us renovate these apartments? Now, here's what this means. It means we're going to be hammering a lot of nails. We're going to be tearing down who knows what. And we're going to be doing sheetrock on some walls and stuff like that. And it's going to feel like you're not serving to show them Jesus, but yet it is an opportunity to build a relationship because here's what's going to happen. That wall that you hammer a nail into, there's going to be someone sleeping in that room and you can pray for them to know Jesus with every swing of that hammer because the longer we're there and the more faithfully we serve there, the more that organization trusts us and the maybe 
Just maybe, by the grace of God, we will be able to meet the people that move into those apartments. And we will be able to be there to help them as they move from experiencing homelessness to moving into stable housing. Because let me tell you, that is a huge transition that needs an army of people to help one person. And maybe we can be there. And maybe we can be there to, 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 when they see our freedom and when they see our happiness, when they see our joy, and they're like, how? We can tell them about Jesus. We'll be working at Oakley Elementary, raking leaves and pulling weeds, I am sure. And when you do that, you're building a relationship with that school where we can minister to the teachers and we can minister to the students and the administrators and the staff there because when we serve, our main goal is to show them Jesus. And we will do all kinds of ways of serving to build that relationship to show others the truth of Jesus. Look at what happens in verse 16. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, which is Jesus' language for saying, listen up, all right? Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent them. In other words, he's saying, do this the way that I showed you to do it. Remember, when you serve, you are showing them the gospel. Trust me in this. He's saying that when we serve, we serve to show Jesus. We serve to show the gospel. Now, let me tell you what this looks like in, in kind of a real moment that I had this week. Stacy and I, um, uh, we, I, I don't know if y'all know, y'all were here second service last week. We had Kelby who spoke about sharing your story. He did an incredible job. Um, I got to announce him, uh, first service and second service. And then after I announced him, I literally ran out the back. Stacy had the car basically running. It was packed and right out here. And we drove to the airport, hopped on a plane, flew to Miami, got on a cruise ship. The advantage of having a travel agent that is a, my wife as a travel agent is wonderful, by the way. Um, I get to enjoy some of her trips. And so we hopped on this cruise ship. And honestly, here's what's crazy about vacation. I was, we were going to be gone for five days. We were going to be gone for a week. It took me two weeks of work on the front end to be gone for one week. And then I get back, and I've got two weeks of work waiting for me. And I don't understand how that math works out. Right? I was up late at night and up early in the morning trying to get everything done before we left. You know, Stacy wrote out this sheet for the people that were watching Luke, um, watching our kids and watching our dog. And you look at that stuff, and you're like, how do I do this every day when you see it on paper, right? And so... We, we, we get this lift rider to take us to the airport, and honestly, I'm still exhausted, and I'm looking forward to, like, finding a cot somewhere on that ship and checking out, right? And um, we, she pulls up, you know, lift shows you their name and their picture and what car they're riding, you know, they're driving, so you know you're, who you're getting in the car with, and her name was, like, this long. It started with Osa, and it was, like, Osa one something, 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 something. And so we get in the car, and um, she introduces herself, and Stacy and Fred. And, and, and so I ask, just out of curiosity, I was like, so what is your name? What does it mean? And she goes, oh, it's Nigerian, and it means God is pleased with me, or God, is, uh, God has been good to me. I forget the exact meaning, but she, she went on to say, um, in, in her village, um, and in Nigeria, in her language, anytime you see Osa, O-S-A, it means God. And I had this moment where I'm like want to relax. 
You know, have you ever been there? And you had this moment facing you, and, and, and dang it, I had already written this message. So this was in my head, right? And I'm like, all right, this is an opportunity. It's, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity. So I thought about it for a minute because, you know, having this conversation is, it can be awkward. And I was like, so um, I said, can I ask you about your name and about where she came from? And she said, yes. And I said, so when you said it means God is pleased with you, um, being from Nigeria, like, what does that mean? Does that mean, like, God's? Or does it mean God, like one God? And she goes, well, in my village, we have multiple gods. We have um, the God of the ocean. We have the God of the trees. We have, you know, she kind of listed a few. And that's when I was like, okay, I know where this is going. All right, all right. She goes, but in my village, it means God. It means Jesus Christ. And because what she talked about is how a missionary came. And brought the message of Jesus Christ. And she said, so everybody in my village has Osa in their name. Because it means God. One God. Oh. Uh, and, and so it started this conversation of how she got here. Now keep in mind, this is from the airport to the ship. It was about a 15-minute ride, maybe, if even that long. And so she said she came to America seven years ago. With her, with, she has a daughter. Uh, she put herself through college. She, came, she literally came with no papers, no identity, and started from scratch. And she just graduated college. She has a computer engineering degree, and she wants to teach. And she goes, um, you know, and she just kind of casually said, you know, you can pray for me because uh, on Wednesday I have an interview. And so as we're pulling up to get out, um, uh, we prayed for her right then. And that's what we said, can we pray for you right now? And so she reached out her hand, and, and I kind of put my hand on her shoulder, and we just prayed in this lift car as we're about to get out to go relax. And it was this great moment where I was happy in that. And, like, I, did, I actually was more encouraged by her than I think she was by us. And we did text her when we got back because we were trying to have her be our lift to take us back to the airport, but it didn't work out. But her interview went well, apparently. So, so, so hopefully she'll get the job. But it's in those moments where what we believe determines what we do to make us happy. And it doesn't have to be a big, grand thing. It could be just listening and praying with someone. Because when you serve, you serve to show Jesus. And whenever you serve, you're showing you serve to show Jesus. You sure serve to point to that forgiveness and needed confession and repentance. Because y'all, this is where Jesus uses the word happy. Look at what he says next. In verse 17, he says, if you know these things, uh, in verse 16, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, a servant's not greater than his master, a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This word blessed is the word for happy. He says, if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. You see, when we serve others to show Jesus, we are happy. Are we still tired? Yes. Is our soul still heavy? Yes. But when our service to others is to show them Jesus, when that is our purpose and, and our security is clear and our purpose is straight ahead of us, that, that when we show them the truth of his forgiveness and the worthiness of his worship, then we're happy. It brings a smile to our face. 
It energizes us. And so try this. When we empty our life out to show Jesus to others, we're filled with happiness. And so to show Jesus, you must know him. And if you haven't received his invitation into eternal life, I beg you to do that today. Don't leave this building without him. And and, and for those of us who know him, may we see the sin that, that we do hold on to, the sin that we reach out for, may we see it as the cheap substitute for Jesus that it is. And instead, may we turn fully to Jesus and let him have his place at the head of the table. And maybe this week we can look around us and see who Jesus has brought around us in our lives to show them this Jesus. And church, who has Jesus placed around you to serve and to show them the truth of who he is? Let's pray. God, you are good and you are holy and you are worthy of our worship. Every bit of it. And God, I pray as we go into this song, if there is confession that needs to be, if there is sin that needs to be confessed and, and, and turned away from, Father, that, that, you would, that you would give us the strength and the wisdom and discernment and whatever it is that you need to give us to be able to do that. And God, I pray for us as a congregation that we would be a people who serve to show the truth of who you are. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.